yourself Cause it starts with you And then everyone else will believe you too And if it looks like you're the only believer around Just keep on believing Don't put yourself down Just believe Our guest tonight grew up in Rwanda and in 1994 watched as her family was brutally murdered during a three-month killing spree which claimed the lives of nearly a million Rwandans. She and seven other women survived by hiding out in a Hutu minister's bathroom for 91 days. The room was three foot long and four foot high. She then sought out and found her family's killers and forgave them. A modern-day Anne Frank, her name, Immaculate and I'm Jack Fasula, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. I'm Jack Fasula, this is Anything is Possible, and we're talking to a phenomenal lady, Immaculate Ilabegiza. Her autobiography is entitled Left to Tell, Discovering God Amidst the Rwandan Holocaust. Immaculate, welcome. It's an honor to have you back with us. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it was always good to be to talk to you before, and now I'm really happy. Can we start by you leading us in an opening prayer tonight? Sure. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear Father, we come to you. I ask you, please, uh, to lead us in the conversation we are going to have. I ask you to please kindly uh, bless everyone who is listening so that their hearts will be touched, their hearts will be blessed as you have blessed me during that time that was just so hard. May everyone who is feeling pain experience um, healing. We trust you, dear Lord, through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Immaculate. Thank you. Your dad, Leonard was a chief administrator of a Catholic school. Your mom, Rose, raised you, three brothers. Talk about your mom and dad. What did they teach you? Oh, my mom and dad were really good parents. You know, when you are a kid and your parents are there, you think they're supposed to be. You take them for granted a little bit. And I think I did that, too. I thought they would always be. My parents were really who, who were Christian Catholics, but who practiced their faith to the letter what the Bible teaches us, you know, the, the things I remember we used to speak about on our dinner table was always about a neighbor who is sick, who doesn't have a way to go to the hospital. Then my dad will go and get other men and they would carry them. You know, as a child who dropped out of school, my mom will go to speak to the family to find out what is the problem. If there's a uniform they are lacking or money to go to school, she will find it. So they really taught us to care for other people. And, and true happiness comes from caring for others, you know, thinking about how you can be useful to love, you know. If they heard even a bad word, kids insulting each other, my dad stopped on the way. Even if he didn't know the kids, he would stop, either punish them or speak to them and, and correct them that this is not good, never do this. So I saw them people who truly just live their faith to the later, like a good person, to love others, yeah. All right, your country, Rwanda. How big is it? Where is it? How many people? A little bit about its history, if you would. Yeah, oh, thank you. So Rwanda is really, by the way, a very beautiful country. 
we, we thought it was a paradise, you know, until, of course, you go out, you're like, wow, other countries have this and that. But where we lived, it was very peaceful. So it is 26 square kilometers. So it's a very small country. You can cross the country driving like in five hours, some places four hours, six hours. But it was populated. To this day, in Rwanda, we have about 12 million people in that small country. We are located in the heart of Africa, right near the equator. Some countries are our neighbors, Kenya, those who know, Uganda, Tanzania. So, yeah, it's a very beautiful, very tropical. I still, to this day, when I go there, I'm shocked. The weather is between 65 and 85, January to December. So very tropical, not humid, beautiful. All right. You were studying engineering at the National University of Rwanda, and you came home for Easter. And on April 6, 1994, the president of Rwanda was assassinated. What happened? Thank you. Yes, I still remember I was home for Easter holiday. I only had a week, and I even tried to stay in school because we had an exam or the Monday after we come back. So I asked my parents if they can let me be in school. They said, no, we miss you. We want you. You come and be here. And thank God I went back home. I mean, for God's grace, it's not like I feel more privileged than others who left. But I'm thankful that I'm alive for sure for whatever, you know, the plans of God has in my life. But 900 students I left in school. That week, they were all killed two weeks later. So anyway, I went home. And again, we spent the first three days happy. We went to Easter, you know, because this was just three days after Easter. That when the genocide started. So the Lent was over. We went to Easter. It was just a, a fun time. And my two brothers were all, you know, in school. So we were just talking about our boarding school, what happened. My parents were teachers and talking to us about what was going on during the three months. It was fun. It was good. So one morning, we, it was April 7th. We woke up with the news that the pen of the president was crushed and he died. So I still remember that morning my, when my brother told me I knew something bad was going to happen. In Rwanda, we had two main tribes, Hutu and Tutsi. And the tribe that was on power, which was almost like a political party, the tribe that was on power, they decided we are going to kill the other tribe so that we can have power all alone. And we knew this a few ways. One way... We have heard there was a radio for like eight months where these journalists, they used to act like they were drunk and they would be insulting us. They were literally giving guidance how they're going to kill us. So we're like, why are they doing that? And why nobody's stopping it? Because they were planning to kill. That was one. And the thing prepared us was the Blessed Mother apparitions. People maybe know about Lourdes in France, Fatima in Portugal. Mary have appeared in Rwanda 12 years before the genocide. And she said a terrible thing was going to happen to our country if we don't come back to God, to love one another, forgive one another, accept each other that as creation of God. So we believe the president was killed by the people in his government because he would not let them kill everybody under his mandate. So when he hesitated, they killed him. And then they had the chance and excuse to start killing Everybody, from children to the old people. The moment he died, they rushed to the family by family. We're talking to Immaculiela Begiza, and over three months, three out of every four Tutsis had been killed by the Hutu. When we come back, we're going to ask her how it was she survived. 
And I'm Jack Basula, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WGR. Welcome back to Anything is Possible. We're talking to Immaculate Illabagiza. If you want to learn more, www.immaculee.com. Immaculate means shining and beautiful in body and soul. And that, Immaculate, is a perfect name for you. Shining and beautiful in body and soul. So, all right, 91 days, eight women, you and seven other women, in a three-foot by four-foot bathroom upstairs. What was that like? It was hell. It truly was hell, but it was also a time when I really met God. So when it, this whole thing started, there was one girl among three boys, and my father asked me to go to hide to the neighbor, who was from the other tribe, who was a good man. Hmm. So I went there, and, and I have to insist, not everyone was killing from the other tribe. It was a government using a tribe to try to say, we going to kill them, but it wasn't really everybody. However, they were calling a tribe, we who are going to kill you. So I went to the man where my father sent me, and I found other seven women where, who have come to hide there. Actually, first we were six, second he brought two more women later. So we sat in three by four feet for three months. I remember when I left my father, the only thing he gave me was a rosary bead. And in that rosary bead, it was as if my father was telling me, this is it. We'll never see each other again. When you need me, you know what to do. You go to God. You pray. So I took that, and that's what I had in the bathroom. I prayed. But prayer, it, it was a lot of changes for those three months. First, I was very angry. I was anxious. I couldn't take it. And then after time, it got worse. So not only they were killing people outside, but the government gave order to start searching every single home to see if anyone was hiding. So the children of the man didn't know where in the house. He told them that he lost the key of the bathroom. So we can hear them, hear them talk outside, but they didn't know where they are. So we had to be absolutely quiet. So what was really painful was when the killers came to search the house. Three to four hundred people came to search the house, and they stopped at the door. I remember holding on to the rosary my father gave me, and I begged God, if you exist, if you are there, I just beg you, don't let us be killed today. If we don't, I will notice you who did it. And that day, they came up to the door of the bathroom. They didn't open it. And from that time, when I made a really good decision to start praying, to when everything changed. And my life became completely something different. I started to fight in my heart. Because if I'm praying, now I'm, I'm talking to God who wants me to forgive. I had a Bible the man have given me. And I had the rosaries I was reading, and everything was speaking about forgiveness. And they were killing us. How do you forgive when people are at the door trying to kill you? So it was a long journey. But in the end, I finally truly was able to reach a time when I said, this must be what they call forgiveness. I was able to pray for the killers of my family. I realized that I cannot keep asking God, protect me, hide me, don't let them kill me. When me, I am not willing to do what he's asking me to do. And even when I wasn't sure how to do what he's asking me to do, to forgive, to love, to pray for those who hate us, how do I do that? And I couldn't know 
But I remember also praying to God, please help me. Help me to forgive. Help me to pray for the people who are killing us. And I felt the knowledge was coming in. I said to pray for them to change. Not for them just to have a good time, but for them to see the light. For them to love. For them to stop killing innocent people. And that, it was like true freedom for, for that. I was able to let go of the anger. We're talking to Macaliela Begiza. She's five foot nine. When she went into that bathroom, she weighed 115 pounds. When she came out, she weighed 65 pounds. And Macaulay, yes, they found the killer that killed your whole family, and you met that person. Yes. So when I came outside of the bathroom, the war was over. The bad guys who have run away from, you know, have run away from the country. People from my own tribe were the ones who captured the capital. So that's how we were able to come out. And when we came out, the very first night, I found out everyone in my family had been killed. Every home was destroyed. A million people was killed in a period of three months. Everywhere was their bodies. And as we were listening to the news, we find out people who killed our family. I remember one man, you know, he was actually a friend of my dad. He's a man I can call a friend. I respected him like a father. But he is the one who went home and stole what my father had, and they killed my mom and my brother and stole everything in my home. So I wanted to see him. But what, the reason why I wanted to see him first, I wanted to know how I would feel around him. People told me, oh, if you see him, you will be angry again. I'm like, really? I don't want to be angry. I know how anger felt. It was bad. Oh, I felt angry. My blood will be running. My, I will be sweating out of anger. I had a headache out of anger. I had a stomachache out of anger. And sometimes, again, some people hate one person. I hated the whole tribe. And all that was heavy on my, on, on my heart. So I was really angry. And I was scared. If I ever had to go back to anger, that I would feel bad again. But I was prepared to live in reality, to live in the truth. I did not want to lie to me, myself. I forgave when I did it. So people said, oh, you, are, you will still be angry if you see him. I went to meet him in a, at the, in a jail because the head of the jail was a friend of my father. I asked him to show me. Let me meet him and show how I feel. So he brought him to his office. And really what he was expecting, he wanted me to hit him. He said, look what he have done to your family. He did ease up your pain. And I remember when I saw this man, the first reaction was I just bored and cried and cried. What was in my heart was I am so thankful I never saw my father ever lose his dignity, ever do wrong. I was so glad even if my father is dead, at least he, he died like a good person. And that was what came to my mind. Another thing came to mind was as if Jesus was telling me, but it was truly through our Lord's prayer, through our Lord's cross that I came to understand. When Jesus told his killers, they, to Father, read to his Father, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. That word brought the whole knowledge of forgiving. Forgive them, but how? They don't get it. They don't know what they're doing. You trying to be mad, it doesn't change anything. So that's when I was able to let go of the anger. So when I went to meet the head of the, the man who killed my family, I just wanted to see and when I saw him, I felt as if Jesus was telling me, you see what I told you? They don't know what they do. Look what he has become. A man who used to be good, respected in the village. Look what he has done, and now he's in prison. 
his hair was upside down. Maybe he had not shaved that time, you know, but maybe in six months, his food was swelling. He had lost weight till he was dirty. And I can feel like a man who just like didn't care. And when I saw him, it was Jesus was showing him. You see what I told you? They don't get it. And I really reached out to him to forgive him. I just wanted him not to have me or to think of me as his enemy, but to tell his children, never do what I have done. I wanted to free him from thinking, look how much she hates me. I, I, I wanted him to know I am not angry at you. You can go through your own journey. Maybe you are going to find truth. Maybe you too, you're going to find forgiveness for yourself. And also, more than anything, I really wanted him to repent. I wanted him to regret what he had done. And that's what I thought. My forgiving to him would do to his heart. And I was able to see that my heart was free from hating him. We're talking to Immaculate Labagiza. If you want to learn more, www.immaculate.com. She has great devotion to the Blessed Virgin. When we come back, we're going to ask her about that. And I'm Jack Rasul, and this is Anything is Possible on 760-WJR. This is Anything is Possible. I'm your host, Jack Crisula. We're with Immaculate Ilabagiza, who has great devotion to the Blessed Virgin. The Blessed Virgin you mentioned had appeared in Rwanda, you know, Lourdes, Fatima. But for the last 42 years, she's been appearing in Medjugorje, which is in Bosnia, Herzegovina. And you told me a story when we were together in January about a priest that went to Medjugorje that was kind of had lost his fervor for being a priest. Would you share yes. that story with us? Oh, yes. Thank you so much. Yes, Our Lady, she's beautiful. She's amazing. She appeared in Rwanda, predicted the genocide that was coming. We heard, and we didn't pay much attention, and then it happened. And then the Vatican approved the apparition, because now we realize she was right. So Our Lady Mary, she's appearing in Medjugorje now. Oh, by the way, I do take groups to go to Medjugorje on the pilgrimages, because I love her and I, I love the messages she gives, and uh, I wish people can listen truly. So and you can always go to my website, immaculate.com, if you wish to, to join me. So anyway, yeah, I remember the story I told you. I love it. There's so many stories of conversion in Medjugorje. People who have converted, people who have changed, who have found the joy of life again. So I was told this story by a priest, a friend who is a very good friend. So he told me one time how he went in Medjugorje with a priest. I still remember he told me his name was Father Frank. So they were in a plane together, and the priest was complaining that the plane was too small. The seats are too small. The air is not good. So the other priest was like, do you know you're going to a pilgrimage? A pilgrimage is not necessarily going to be too comfortable. Anyway, the priest told me in secret, he said, I was hoping they would not give him to me as a roommate, because usually on a pilgrimage, two people stay in the same room, because he was complaining too much. I can't take this. Or complaining is, is draining, as you know. So anyway, as he was praying, his prayer was not answered. They actually put them together in a roommate, as a roommate. So they sat on the bed. The first thing they sat on, there are two beds in the room. 
Father Frank was like, oh, this bed is too hard. Oh, this mattress, this is not right. It's too cold here. And the other priest told him, Father, I'm curious. How did you come on a pilgrimage? Like he didn't know maybe what happened. He said, well, I just wanted anything that can take me away from the parish because, you know, I just don't like to be there. And the one parishioner, she gave me a, a free ticket. So I took and rented and it came. So I said, oh, okay, no wonder why you are complaining about everything. Anyway, the next day they went to church. And after mass, they asked if there is an English-speaking priest so they can give confession. Father Frank refused to raise his hand. <laughs> a priest. So his friend priest said, Father, at least you can give confession. For heaven's sake, you are a priest. And then he... He was like, okay, well, I'm here on a pilgrimage. I just want to have, you know, free time. Anyway, the next day, he was good. He actually raised his finger, and he started to give confession. So this is what my friend priest told me. He said, at the end of the confession, Father Frank was running, smiling, like he had an apparition. What happened to you? And this is what he told him. He said they gave him a little stool to give confession outside. This was a time when they didn't have enough rooms for confession. So they gave him a little stool, and it was a little bit big. So the other priest said, oh, it was like a punishment. He was literally almost falling over the little stool, and he was covered all over up to his nose. Anyway, people came to give confession, what he told this friend of mine. He said, during priesthood for 20 years, he had been struggling with three things. And he didn't know what those were three things were. However, he could not find an answer to those three things in his faith. So he said as he, gave, he started to give confession, the very first person came to confess something he had been struggling with. And the priest find it was exactly one of the things he, he had been struggling with. So he had to give confession and the counseling, as they do. He started to counsel him, and he said as he's counseling him, words started to come to him like how he can deal with the situation. And he was like, wow, I never find those words before. And yet now I am finding words to say to somebody. But he was amazed. It's like nobody ever confessed this. Okay, the person was gone. And then came a second person. A second person to confess, not the third, not the fourth. The second person confessed exactly the second thing he had been struggling with, all his priesthood. And then again, he found words to speak to him, to the other person, to express this is what you should do, this is what you should do. He's like, wait, I'm talking to myself. Anyway, that was gone, and he stopped confession. He took a break because he was scared. He said, Father, God, if the third person comes here and tells me the third thing, not the first, not the second, the third thing I've been struggling with, I will know for sure your mother is appearing in this place. So now he goes back to confession. He's struggling. He's you know, trembling a little bit. He's like, okay, let me just know. Maybe this is or maybe it's not. As he prayed, the third person came and confessed the third thing he had been struggling with. After he confessed to him, he knew 100% Our Lady, at least in his heart, in his conversion, Our Lady was appearing. So after confession, he ran to his friend and he told him, Father, for the first time in 20 years, I feel like a priest. And he was completely a new priest from that time on. And they have remained friends. 
and he never lost his faith again. So it was really a story that just touched my heart. Like, yes, yes, our lady can do that. And she does many. Everybody that meets or listens to Immaculate has their heart touched too, Immaculate. If you want to learn more, www.immaculee.com, which means shining and beautiful in body and soul. All right, your 11th book, 11th book, A Blessing in Disguise, Miracles of the Seven Sorrows Rosary. Yes, I wrote 11 books. I'm so glad and I'm so grateful to God. You know, I remember when I started to write books, let me tell People used to tell me, write a book. I'm like, I'm not a writer. People are born writers. I thought somebody who write a book is somebody who has something special. Not me. So slowly, though, I would hear again and hear again. But I just, just write in your own words. Just tell us how you went. What you just told me, just write it. Just tell me in, in a book. So I can share with my friends. So anyway, that's how I started to write. And I wish I can write more, much more, because I really love writing. But I, many times I have a family, and I travel a lot to speak since my first book. So I don't do much. However, I have written 11 books. And my latest is called, as you just said, uh, The Miracles of the Seven Souls Rosary, A Blessing in Disguise. And uh, that is about a prayer Mary gave us in Kibeho to one of the visionaries. And she said, through this prayer, the Seven Souls Rosary, I will make miracles happen. I will hear your prayers. I will heal the, the sick, the wounded she said, I will hear the tears of mothers. So the Seven Souls Rosary, since I started to say it, it really have acted for me like almost like a spiritual therapy. That's why I say it, a blessing in disguise. That's why I call the book that way. Anytime I pray and I think, oh, the Seven Souls Mary are actually, by the way, the, the sorrows we know in our church. If you Google Seven Souls of Mary, you will find them. The prophecy of Simeon, you know, when she took the baby and St. Joseph to, bless, to be blessed, and Simeon told her a spear would pierce her heart. The second, when Herod wanted to kill baby Jesus, and they had to run because the angel told Joseph, go and save the baby. They had to go to Egypt. It was a long way. There was a lot of suffering on the way. The third, when Jesus was lost for three days. Imagine what that is for a mother and a father through the child for three days. He wasn't lost. He wasn't a temple. But in the eyes of the mother, he was lost. So for three days. The fourth, when Mary met Jesus on the way to the cross. I mean, covered by wounds. Blood. He couldn't even see. Just to know that your, your child is going to be killed. The fifth, when Mary was under the cross, standing, waiting for him to die. It always gets me when I remember the words of Jesus when he was crying to his father. Father, why have you forsaken me? Which is, oh, imagine when a mother feels to hear your your child, literally in desperation, which, of course, as a good son and faithful one, as God himself, he told his father, not my will, but yours. So now the sixth one is when they, they placed the body of Mary, Jesus in the hands of Our Lady. And dead, she said in the Kibeho, it was then she was able to see all his wounds much more closer. And she said, I don't know how he did it, to be able to carry the cross with all these wounds. And then the seventh, is when they place him in a tomb and they buried him. So it is all the seven sorrows of Mary. But the, the beauty about this, I almost said magic, which I don't want to use that word. The beauty and the power of this power, these seven sorrows of Mary, is the meditation. 
When you meditate, Mary said, do not go through my sorrows so quickly. Always ask yourself, what if it was me? What will I feel? What if it was me who was standing beneath my child on the cross? What would I feel? Any mother, any father, any human being will feel really terrible pain if you pray from your heart. So the more I pray these sorrows, which I try to do every day, the more I put myself in the shoes of Mary. And when I try to understand what she felt, I always think of my own suffering, something I've felt, something I've gone through. And then I say, wow, that was hard. And the more I open my heart, the more I heal. Isn't it what the therapists do? When the therapists tell people, you know, go to heal people, they don't tell them what to do. They don't tell you what to think. They just ask you how you felt and how did you feel and what happened? And then what happened next? And how did you feel? Just by opening your heart, you heal. So I realized that anytime I say this rosary, I might start with suffering, pain in my heart, anxiety. By the time I finish the rosary, I'm like, wait, I have no more pain. I feel good. I feel as if somebody just consoled me. So that is the power of the seven sorrows. First, to heal you as an individual, your own pain, to be able to grieve with Mary in the hands of Mary, in the hands of Jesus, to put your feet under in his. You are able to forgive. You are able to take your own pain. Then the supernatural comes, which always comes with every prayer. The supernatural is what God does beyond your limits. One of the world's leading speakers on peace, faith, and forgiveness. And I'm Jack Rasul, and this is Anything is Possible on 760 WJR. Jack Rizzula, host of WJR's Anything is Possible, the weekly radio visit, brings his 15 years of inspirational storytelling to hardcover. With God, anything is possible. Fifteen of Jack's more than 750 tales of defeating odds and achieving the extraordinary. Like Bob Woodruff, whose job covering the war in Iraq nearly cost him his life. And Nick Vujicic, the limbless evangelist who has stunned millions with his message of acceptance and grace. With God, anything is possible. Order now while signed copies are still available at trustinusllc.square.site. That's trustinusllc.square.site. And as Jack says, Make it a great week because with God, anything is possible. Spohol. Anything is possible. I'm Jack Rasula. This is Anything is Possible. We're talking to Immaculate Ilabagiza, a modern-day Anne Frank. Immaculate, it's been almost 30 years of the Rwandan genocide. Tell us about the country and the Rwandan people today. Oh, thank you so much again. Well, Rwanda have truly miraculously healed. But it is not I would, miraculously because you really see the hand of God into everything. So, but... It is, it is, the healing is a process of the leaders now who truly want people to understand each other, to love each other. So in Rwanda, now the people who were killing, they ran away from the country. In that time, refugees who were from my tribe and from the Hutu tribe who were against the genocide and who saw how terrible it was, they come and they captured the capital. And then they captured the country. 
it took them years just to clean the dead bodies all over the country. But then we saw something no one expected. The country had been rising, but I really believe because people now can pray from the heart because they know what happened. Now they can listen better to what Mary have told us in the Kibeho. She said, this country, it will be in a new Jerusalem. It will be crushed, it will be destroyed, but it will rise again. It will be the new Jerusalem. The world will come to this country to kneel down to receive the blessing that have been here. So, but generally, right now, for example, we used to have identity cards in the country where we had like Hutu and Tutsi. It was written on every paper. If you are a student and you go to do an exam, you have to write on a paper first who you are, if you are a Hutu or a Tutsi. So it was always a reason to discriminate you. If you go in a building, you have to show identity cards, who you are, like a driver license. They just have to discriminate you. Because 99% again was in the hands of the other tribe. But right now, after the genocide, the new government removed the name of the, our tribes in identity cards. So if you go anywhere to do an exam as a kid, as a student, nobody asks you who you are. Nobody asks you tribe. So everybody now have a chance to do and be. And that was one huge thing. Another thing, for example, we used to have two universities in Rwanda. That one was divided in two so two branches, which was, again, you may, may say maybe three, but there were two. Today in Rwanda, we have 29 universities in the country. So the country have completely have been rising, but because people suffered. And every single person in Rwanda have lost somebody in some ways. Maybe it is an uncle, maybe it is a cousin, but somebody have lost a friend. So... With this pain, the blood of the innocent people, with people who have suffered, they are really being careful how they raise the country. We used to have maybe 100, maybe high school. I think now we have like 300. Everyone wants to go to school. The country was, the roads were very few, only main roads. Now we have almost the whole country paved, not the whole country, but many, maybe 500 percent of roads been paved. So we are really happy to see how the country is rising. It's very peaceful. It is actually rated to be uh, no, no corruption in Rwanda. But again, because of what has happened. Many people come, I take a pilgrims to Rwanda every three months to visit our native Kibeho. Everyone can say it is the most peaceful country in Africa. It's not in the world. So how that happened, people say, what, how can this be? This is not supposed to. You know, this is the country where you went to hell. But that happened. We used to have maybe hundreds of thousands in prison. And some, maybe 10 years ago, our president gave mercy to every prisoner who will accept to apologize and to every prisoner who can actually apologize in public and say what they did so that their village can judge that that's a person who is really sorry. So imagine people have killed and who have gone back to their village, but they have to go through trial, the village where they call it the where the elder in the villages will come to be the one to judge them, not the government. So there's a lot of good have happened. The country is very clean now. You know, before it was garbage everywhere, but now everywhere they're growing flowers. Again, as a sign to say, we don't go back to where we came from. And the people who to Tutsis are working together. You know, and of course, I mean, we are humans like everybody. When I speak about this, this is at the level of the country, what do you see? And also at the level of the law in a country on the government. However, when it comes to individuals, 
Sometimes you still see somebody who killed your family, you know, or maybe you're an angry person who still wants to kill people. So at the level of the heart, that is between people and God. But at the level of the country, you cannot do injustice to somebody without facing justice. Yeah. Um, as our time winds down together this evening, can you lead us in a closing prayer, Immaculate? Oh, oh, thank you so much. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Father, we come to you again to thank you for what you have done, for this moment we spent together, for every listener, for what seeds are planted in their hearts, that may their Father grow them, that there will be peace, there's forgiveness, there's joy, and that it above all strong faith in you, because you are Father who gives all the gifts we need. So I beg you, through our Lord Jesus Christ, that you may teach and, and, and reach every heart, and even more hearts that will listen in the future, Heal their heart as you have healed my heart. And you, Blessed Mother, and our Mother, Mother, please pray for us. Our Lady of Kibeho, pray for us. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And Heavenly Father, continue to be with Immaculate Ilibigisa and her ministry throughout the world of peace and forgiveness. Immaculate, thank you once again. Thanks for all you do. Thank you so much. We appreciate that. Please join us next Saturday. Until then, I'm Jack Fasula. Thanks for listening, and make it a great week, because with God, anything is possible. Believe in yourself.